Hi, everybody. Welcome to your therapist playlist. This is Anna, and we have Matt with us. M-A-T-T. That's me. That's Matt. Yay. That's awesome. Anna is actually spelled A-N-A, for those of you who are wondering. And now you guys can see it if you're watching the video in sign language. Or multi- (laughs) Actually, I've never really learned sign language. Like, I think I learned a little bit when I was younger, but I, it's like something I'd like to get better at. But, um, so listeners, I hope you guys are having a good week. We are on episode five, five right? Yeah, we're five years old. Five episodes old now. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it feels like a lot of responsibility being five episodes old. You know. If we were doing this weekly, I would say so. But we were just talking about like um, behind the scenes stuff before we started recording again. I can understand that for you because it's still getting a bit more acclimated. For me, it's like, yeah, what's next? If we get to a hundred, then 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 I'll really start getting more surprised. Oh, that'd be sweet. Hundred yeah. episodes, that'd be so nice. Uh, <laughs> but. Speaking of episodes, uh, thank you to everyone who's been listening so far. Uh, I hope you're enjoying, you know, the content we have. We have something new for you guys today that we're looking forward to. Um, yeah. So I don't know, Matt. How are you? How are you doing this week? Uh, always a good question. It gets me to jog my memory and see if it's been improving recently. Uh, the last week was okay. Of work work wasn't that bad just had some administrative stuff to attend to uh as far as like work with different people on my caseload pretty decent um things are moving along with that uh personally things are cool i am currently pet sitting another little kitten my artemis's uh brother apollo is here his owner went back home for spring break so I haven't had much difficulty with like having the two of them. They've been able to play and enjoy each other's company and leave me the fuck alone most times, which is great because I get consistent, consistent sleep now. Like no more waking up two and three in the morning because I maybe heard a mew or somebody trying to get into the room. You know? I heard a mew. <laughs> <laughs> Anytime I hear mew, I think of the Pokemon mew. Yes, it sounds just like that. They sound just like that. Um, That's awesome. Yeah, other than that, just been taking it easy. Um, I signed up for Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu classes finally, and I'll be starting that in two weeks. I've been able, I finally got a chance because I'm vaccinated to go out to a legit bar and enjoy myself, like inside the bar. Crazy <laughs> shit, man. The things you take for granted. But other than that, it was just been really good. How about you? Oh, it's been pretty good. Um, speaking of like starting new things, I started Spanish lessons. I got myself a Spanish tutor. I started that this week. We did two lessons. Um, it's through preply online. So like you can connect with like um native speakers for pretty much any language, and then you pay by hour and they like it's a zoom class but it's also like he uses a lot of share screen and he has like a whole curriculum and like powerpoints and uh i had homework (laughs) i got my homework done uh this week so i want more information after we're done because that could be another thing i start doing 
yeah, it's it was super fun. It's it's really cool. I like the like one to one tutoring, you know. Um, and I, I just it was I don't know. I feel like I learned so much already just this this week. But I also realized how much I already knew. Yeah. <laughs> Is it cheap? Yeah. Um, well, the guy I got, I think he's like thirteen dollars an hour. What? So that's like super cheap. I feel like, and there's there's even like lower rates. There's people who have lower rates. There's people who have higher rates. He's really good though. Um, so yeah, I don't know. I just bought like a ton of sessions with him, and I just schedule them as I go. So. By the way, Anna, there's one thing we didn't let the listeners know that is really cool about today's episode. We have a sponsor. Oh yeah, we do have a sponsor. <laughs> we do have a sponsor. Um, well, well, technically though, Matt, we're starting the sponsorship next episode. <laughs> but but we will we will be sponsored by TBD Coffee. For those of you who are not uh, familiar with TBD Coffee, take a look on Instagram. They have uh, Instagram. They have Facebook. Um, it's a small co- coffee company out of uh, California uh, by a friend, one of my friends, and it's great. I've, I, I, well, I'm on decaf right now, so listeners, do not judge me. It's not like <laughs> totally, completely my choice. Um, but I am on decaf right now, and I tried their decaf, which is called the Youngest Child Blend, <laughs> which is perfect because I am the youngest child, so the Youngest Child Blend, and I really. I really like it. So, um, but we will be talking more about TBD coffee in our next episode. And Matt and I hopefully will be sharing with you, I don't know, some of their like merch and stuff. So. Yeah. We, we on now five episodes in. Five episodes in sponsor and our big surprise for you guys today. Yes. Let's get into that because our special surprises, we have an artist we're going to be interviewing today. Yes. This is an artist that I have been following for, oh my gosh, years, years, years. Um, Shoot. I don't want to say, let's say like five or six years okay. I've been following this artist. Um, his name is Nicholas May. He is a Chicago hip hop artist. He has music out on Spotify, YouTube. Um, I, yeah, I've, I've been a fan for years. I found out about him through my brother's friend and a family friend um, who is a, another Chicago hip-hop artist called Poppy Hamon, <laughs> which, Matt, we should totally interview him sometime, too. I, I feel um, like I've heard this artist's name before. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I he had posted music um from i think sky zoo right yeah and nicholas may and uh i checked it out and i was like oh wow this guy's awesome and so i started following him back then this was like it was years ago Mm -hmm. um and one of my favorite songs of nicholas may's is the was it peter peter rosenberg i always say it wrong peter rosenberg uh with sky zoo yeah Um, my favorite songs but yeah, so we will have him on today. We'll be talking to him about um, mental health, hip hop, just what it's like to be a hip hop artist in Chicago, especially right now with all of the impact from COVID. Yeah. 
and he's a very insightful person. He is multifaceted when it comes to different entrepreneurial ventures. I had to make sure that I pronunciated that exactly right because I knew I almost was going to mess it up, but I didn't. Anyway, yeah, I'm looking forward to this conversation. I think it's going to be a very good one. And again, thanks to Anna for bringing this artist on. And I hope that this interview is one that everybody can enjoy who is listening and of course can share to your friends so that they can share with their friends and we can all just be one big podcasting family. Yes, that'd be perfect. <laughs> I never do cheesy like full grin smiles, but this, it was magical. <laughs> <laughs> For the watchers and the listeners, sorry, you couldn't see it. All right, ready to get started? Yep. Hey, everybody. So we have uh, Nicholas May here, like Matt and I were just talking about. Um, he is a hip hop artist from the Chicago area, and we are really excited to have him today. So how's it going, Nicholas? Hey, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. Uh, very trendy doing Zoom. I think Zoom is going to be pretty normal moving forward. So uh, it is cool to do this. Um, hopefully we'll meet in person sooner rather than later, but really appreciate it. Yeah, I I was actually just having this conversation um, about a week, a week and a half ago, how when you even talk about like video chatting, you remember when Skype used to be the thing, like people wouldn't even say, let's video chat. Hey, let's Skype. And it's just crazy how now that that's such an outdated like platform and all it is is either Zoom or FaceTime. It blows my fucking mind. Oh, yes. Oh, yeah, absolutely. Well, you know what? It's just... um you know, technology is getting, getting crazier. The times are getting crazier and convenience is on the rise, but I'm actually really excited to uh, have this discussion. I know that we, we talked briefly. Um, well, kind of briefly, it was meant to be briefly. And we kind of had like a whole interview before the interview and we, and it wasn't really an interview, but it was more just a great discussion, right? It was like, you know, mental health surrounding the music industry and, and entertainment in general. And we kind of went into so many different things. So I'm excited to bring, uh, those topics back up and, you know, continue discussing them. Cause I think it is very, very interesting. And, 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 you know, mental health and the music industry as a whole is, is a very relevant conversation. Definitely. So let's just get into it and let's start off with, I guess, questions towards you and then we can kind of like expand and broach and go beyond. So what, yeah, is, absolutely. Awesome. So what exactly led you to get into becoming a hip hop rap artist? Um, well, originally, I just wanted Latinas to like me. Hey, so, yes. Oh, so it did what, work, Nicholas. <laughs> yeah, that's that's what that's what started. That's it. No, I'm just kidding. Well, I grew up in you know in Waukegan, Illinois, a little bit outside the city. Spent an immense amount of time in Chicago. Clearly, just being so close, and um, you know, I just you know, growing up in a, in a rougher neighborhood, a rougher environment, music was just one of those creative outlets that was just you know. I could go off and do something positive and take me away from, you know, the day to day of not having a lot or dealing with, you know, gang violence and, and things of that nature. And that's really kind of what led me to, to keep doing it. And I realized that, you know, the more I was doing it, you know, just it just was very fulfilling and very fun. And, you know, I started to treat it like a sport. So in high school, you know, my friends that are closest to me um, and those that were, you know, around me at that time will tell you, I, I used to rap battle everybody from every school, every every side of Chicago, everywhere. I crushed them all. And that was like my sport. And it was like my, you know, my outlet to, to get some things off. Yeah. Okay. 
Can you speak to what it's like to engage in that type of like competitive art? A lot of people have different perspectives on what it means to like get into like a rap battle or a freestyle battle. But what's it like being mm-hmm. the heat of the moment of it when you have to not necessarily perform, but you're doing so to demonstrate your confidence level, your skill set and let people know I'm not to be messed with or yeah. like, gee, fucked with. You know, what's, what's interesting is that like when people, when, you know, when you watch rap battle, especially nowadays, it's kind of like wrestling. It never used to be like that um, yeah. at all. It really was about that. And then interesting enough, you know, although you would get disrespectful at times, you know, there's a mutual respect between two MCs, right? You, we know that you generally, you know, I would say more times than not, sometimes you just get some hot heads that just want to fight you because they, they can't rap. And, mm-hmm. you know, that happens. But generally speaking, you know, there's, there's a um, mutual agreement that's unspoken of and unsaid, right? That, you know, we just, it, it really is an art and a sport. And, you know, I've met some of the people that I was closest to growing up you know, through like rap battling. And because that time we couldn't do concerts, right? Like I didn't start doing concerts until I was about 18 or 19. I didn't even really know concerts really existed or what that was when I was 14 or 15 years old or, you know, and even through 17. And so, um, you know, I had, I had left Chicago for a little bit and went to school and, you know, kind of found the, the business of live events and concerts. And it opened up a whole new world of what it meant to, to be an artist. And so, but prior to that, yeah, it's just like, an, it's just a mutual agreement, right? Like LeBron James and, you know, Dwayne Wade, you know, before they were teammates, you know, they would go at it very competitive and, you know, very um, aggressive on the court, but off the court, they're best friends. And and that, that actually really does happen. Okay. What would you say are some of your earlier influences that kind of like helped to shape and hone you as an artist? Like, I think about like Drake and Lupe. Drake was big into like Pusha T when he was younger. Um, Jay-Z, uh, Lupe, Jay, Nas especially, kind of like really mm-hmm. encompassed like his, it was written like style and flow. What would you say were your influences before you decided to create your own unique style? I would say originally, uh, you know, so my mother really put a lot of music um, on my plate and created a lot of visibility on a lot of a lot of a wide variety of different music, mostly R&B and hip hop. So mm-hmm. the first, even before getting into hip hop, like my mother would listen to a lot of R&B, um, you know, just a, a lot of, you know, 90s soul, like just some really great stuff. And from that transition into hip hop, some of her favorite rappers ended up being Biggie and Tupac. And that's kind of where I started from was just kind of based on that. And, you know, um, once I was exposed to that and, you know, I, I started to listen to music, how people would watch movies. Yeah. And that's what music was for me. Like I can sit down and listen to an album today and not have the TV on or not literally do anything and sit, sit on the couch or sit, you know, and, you know, just walk around, um, you know, walk around outside and I'm, I'm listening to music like it's a movie and I digest it that way. Not every, not everyone does. Um, but it's, it's that, you know, thoroughly engaging for me. And so just kind of starting with the classics and then, you know, the more you, you dive into it, the older you get, you start to realize that, oh, these guys are, you know, really songwriting and they're making certain songs about certain things, you know, that are very relevant to the times. Uh, also, you know, relevant to themselves, right? You know, a lot of it was very personal. Yeah. And, um, you know, I was really intrigued by that. Like, you know, the world of songwriting to start like battle rapping and freestyling, which is how most most artists start, to then understanding like a whole new world of songwriting and then understanding a whole new world of concerts and how to 
um, you know, move people and how to, you know, really connect with them, you know, something that, re- you know, is really intriguing and there's it, it an art to, to every step. Yeah. I think that we all have that in common, that experience to like listen to music and just kind of be fully, find ourselves fully encapsulated by the lyrics, the instrumentation, sometimes the themes that come up. Mm-hmm. And it's one of the things that Anna and I, I think we often talk about without even realizing that we talk about just how much music can consume you to the point where it's like, crap, I got to yeah. differentiate myself from this, you know? What do you think? Yeah, I was oh, talking yeah. about like it, the, the cathartic component of, you know, hearing a song that's expression, expressing the emotions and experiences that you're having and you're feeling. It's like, well, exactly what the word means, you know? So it's, um, it's almost like you can release the emotions from your mind for a bit, like it's in the music so you can listen to it and experience it in that way. And it's less, I don't know, less like, um, it's, less, it's not so much just on you, you know, it, yeah. it relieves the pressure, right? It provides clarity, less ambiguous. Cause that's, that was one of the things I was thinking about when you were kind of explaining it. Like, I feel like if you're somebody like intellectualizes or rationalizes so much stuff, you can draw, find yourself drawn to music because it helps to express things in a way that you can't just use with words. It's just about the feels. Yeah, correct. Yeah, that's absolutely right. I mean, there's, you know, it really is crazy. There's so many different styles of hip hop now, right? So it's kind of like it's, everyone just interprets music in a different way, right? Certain words hit people certain, you know, a, a different way. And sometimes you listen to the same, like I listen to like old Nas records and sometimes like I still catch things that I, I haven't caught yet. And I've listened to these songs millions and millions and millions of times. But, you know, as you get older, for sure, um, mm-hmm. or just as you experience more things in general, your perspective changes. So the way you perceive information changes. So mm-hmm. as the way you perceive information change, cha- as, as the way it changes, how you view the music, how you feel about the music, how it makes you feel also changes pretty rapidly with it. And um, it, it really is interesting. I mean, I think... Like, you know, of course, the classics, Tupac, Biggie, Nas. Nas, for sure, is, you know, probably my all-time favorite rappers, you know, yeah. writers. Um, I mean, it's just, it's, it, it's just, he's just undeniable to me, you know, in, in a lot of ways. Um, I really don't listen to, like, a lot of the new artists. Um, I really don't. I mean, that, I mean, I guess I would, I would be in that bucket as well. But, um, like, as far as, like, the top tier of exposure, right? Like, you know, like the artists that have the most exposure, I don't really listen to um, really at all. Um, But, you know, I know that a lot of people just relate to music differently. And sometimes, you know, their music just doesn't hit for me. Yeah. You mentioned not the top three of like rap echelon overall, but you mentioned- Oh yeah, for sure. Often, like when I was in growing up, those were my top three. Jay came way later down the line. Like first it was Tupac, then it was Big. No, first it was Tupac, then it was Nas, then it was Biggie. And mm-hmm. you spoke about how these influences kind of shaped your style per se. How would you say, other than like the fact that your mom listened to these artists, what about them drew you to their music, to their work? Because I know for me, it definitely had to do with like the heavy content that was kind of like a oh yeah artist. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, their, their, their music to me was like a movie and that's what lacks in today's music is nobody's really painting a picture. Um, and the pictures that are being painted are just, they're so basic and so, um, false 
that is hard to, you know, want to consume for me. Uh, the music that I love the most is relatable music, right? So it's just, for me, if I can't relate to it, then I'm just absolutely not going to become a fan to it. And that's okay. Some people listen to music because they just really love the beats. I mean, that's like a huge majority of a lot of hip hop fans. And, that, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that at all. Um, but because, you know, I think that those artists having such a big impact of what I was listening to very early on is what shaped me to be more of a writer more than anything. Um, which, you know, has, um, why I'm just not interested in a lot of like artists in general and why I have some, my own internal struggles with continuing to make music because it's like, it's so devalued and just your peers are just like, have lowered the bar so, so much that it's like a little bit deflating to want to contribute to. And then other times I'm like, well, the bar is lowered so much that I should keep going. Like I, I should keep putting these stories out and I should keep painting you know, these pictures and making these movies, you know, that's that I want to make within these songs because it's really not being done. Yeah. Yeah. It sounds like you're describing what uh, me and Anna often see in like our sessions, pressure driven behavior, noticing that something isn't necessarily going right in the situation and feeling like you have to contribute more and more to have that balance be reestablished or even have a newer tier of, I guess, not necessarily excellence, but perfection starts to manifest in a sense. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, the success in hip hop, um, especially, but but even all across music has nothing to do with talent anymore. It has nothing to do with, I mean, it, it kind of really never was. It, it's just, the bar was just higher for, for um, the athletes, right? For the artists, the bar was higher internally. So, you know, the industry, you know, didn't have to, didn't really have to influence them lowering the bar on purpose because the high bar was selling, right? Once, once that, that top tier artist, once it became more profitable to put out, um, you know, very, you know, similar sounding records, you know, copy and paste records, what I call them, um, you know, very simple, you know, flows and, and just, just too much simplicity, you know, for me, as far as like being a fan of a lot of newer stuff, but a lot of it sells, right? Because it's easier to digest and it's, e it's also easier listening. And if something's easier listening, it's going to be listened to more because it's going to be more of a, the background music. Artists like Nas and, um, you know, Jay and, and those classic artists, like they weren't the background music. They were the main events. They were what you would rush to the store and go buy and listen to. Um, now that just doesn't happen. You listen to one song and, you know, you forget about it, you know, five minutes later. And, you know, there's, and, and it's not to knock like a lot of the art, there's a ton of music on the internet that's incredible, better than I would ever be able to think about even being able to create. Yeah. Um, so I don't want that to get misconstrued, but it's just not going to be invested in. It's not at the forefront because, um, you know, the success the industry is having of, of putting these, you know, false narratives forward, these just very, very basic, almost like jingle type songs, right? Like, like hip hop turned yeah. into a Kit Kat commercial. Yeah. Yeah. It's kind of like, it's gone more of a, I don't know. I kind of uh, connected to like pop music, like where hip hop oh, used to be pop music. more different than like pop to me. Like it was like, like you said, it's more about like stories. Like when I think of Biggie, like Biggie was first for me i actually didn't start listening to tupac until probably like two years ago to be honest Whoa. with you guys mm -hmm. it was big biggie was just 100 percent um in my house at least but uh like that's th those are stories those are those are stories that like i feel i can connect to these are 
um, it, well, especially like as a counselor, the things that Biggie talks about, it's like, it's, it's engaging and it's, um, it's, it's impactful. Yeah. It's authentic. It's impactful. And I feel like over the past few, I guess, decades, really like hip hop has shifted just to more of predominantly like pop music culture, where it's just, like you said, jingles, it's just music that's just like very repetitive about really like nothing that matters now occasionally yes there are good songs that come out and um Mm -hmm. you know here and there but it's just not as often and honestly that's one of the things i like about your music like every song that i've connected to of yours i'm thinking like eyesight like i really like eyesight (laughs) and like the music that i listen to of yours that i i connect to it's like because of that the story that you're telling it's something Mm -hmm. you know relatable um, and it's just harder to find these days, I guess. Yeah. I think Where's the Five Nine said it best. You can own your masters, but it means nothing if your masters don't really have any quality to it. Like you can try oh, yeah. to have ownership of everything, but if nobody's really trying to play it and it's not crossing over different generations, then it's just going to fall by the wayside and it's essentially worth it. Oh, that's what, 100% sure. You know, 100%. That's, I couldn't uh, agree with that more. Yeah. What was who? No, I'm gonna step back, rewind a little bit. What was the first album you ever bought? Everybody, let's first, all talk. What was the first album everybody bought? Hip hop album, because I don't want to sell myself short. Mine wasn't the best. The first album that I ever bought with my own money um, was um, I want to say, wow, okay, this is. I thought I had it, but maybe not. I'm starting to rethink. Take your time. Nope. The first one that I ever bought was The Chronic. Oh, shit. Oh, okay. With my own money. <laughs> okay. For me... That was the first album that I bought because I listened to a lot of music that my mother had. So, like, she gave me a whole bunch of stuff. But what I went back on when I was in, you know, you go to Borders and, yeah, you know, you swipe your, swipe your CD and put your headphones on and get to, you know, test it out. Go, I would go through, the, I would be there for, like, three hours. I would test out the whole, the whole shelf. And... um you know, definitely just dated, dated myself for sure. But, you know, that's what we did. Like, that's what it was. Or you go to Best Buy or wherever. Best Buy had them too, right? So uh, I think I'm pretty sure that I'm pretty sure that Chronic was the first album that, that I had bought. Shout out to you for even mentioning Borders. You did kind of trigger me. Shout out to my friend Ali, who might be listening, who was triggered as well. But we don't ride with it because that was a good, that was a good disclosure. I love Borders. Rest in peace. <laughs> Rest in um, peace. For me, I'll tell myself and actually give the hip hop album to the first album I legit ever, ever bought was a Chipmunk cover album. And I liked it because it exposed me to just these different variant, like different cover variances of like different songs from like the 80s, 90s, 70s. So that was mm-hmm. cool. But then my first like hip hop album, The Eminem Show. Oh, yeah, that, that would have been close. Like that would have been close to mine too. But I, um, yeah, I bought a lot of Eminem albums for sure. Um, yeah, it's so different. The music industry is so different. Mm-hmm. Um, just how we consume music and um, how it's valued. And it's, it's very interesting. Yeah. And I feel like that album itself echoed a lot of what you are talking about as far as sentiments. Say goodbye to Hollywood, noticing that things are changing and even perception of artists is starting to change. Like there's more mm-hmm. censorship when they're trying to be authentic, when they're trying to talk about real content and then people are just saying, this is just too real. This is just too much. You guys need to stop. And it's starting mm-hmm. to really demonstrate that shift. 
into more of the mainstream artistry that maybe we see today? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I would love to, I mean, you know, now, we, now we're at a point now where like, so like my, you know, some of my, just a quick top three, you know, Tupac, Biggie, Nas, right? It's a great quick top three, but um, is it my current top three? No, but well, Nas for sure still is my current top three, but um, you know, it's, it's interesting because now we, we're at a point where like J. Cole, Kendrick and Big Sean are the top three. They're even the classic top three for a lot of, for a lot of people. Yeah. So now it's just like, you know, we're, you know, it's just another generation that, that, you know, is, you know, pushing forward, which is great. Um, I really, I mean, I love Kendrick and J. Cole and Big Sean actually for all for different reasons. Um, but they're definitely the exception and not the rule. And sometimes they fall victim into, into making those jingles as well, you know, and it's kind of contributing to, you know, watering down the art. Yeah. Anna, what about you? First album. Man, first ever album, album. I had probably Selena. Okay. <laughs> first sound, but for hip hop, uh, uh, Biggie, um, uh, Ready to Die. I think that was my first. Yeah, I think that was my first album. And I, I didn't buy it though. I mean, I was a little kid, so that was like the first album that my brother like handed to me. Most of the music I got was like just physically handed to me from one of my brothers, like the Backstreet Boys. I had no idea who they were. And then my brother handed me the CD one day. He's like, here you go. This is what the kids are into. And then my other brother like, no, here you go. Here's, you know, Biggie. Uh, here's Green Day. Um, it was just, it was, you know, whatever, whatever they gave me. Um, but I don't know if you're just thinking about like top music, I feel so out of touch with what's current because <laughs> I, um, because I just started really getting into Tupac these past couple years, as well as Wu-Tang and Wu-Tang has just been huge for me. Like it's, uh, I saw them live, um, shoot right before COVID, uh, at Riot Fest and it was i it was so amazing like i felt like i was part of history just to be there to see them um live it was so i it's like indescribable which i can't imagine which is actually that leads me to a question for you nicholas as just what is it like to be on stage to be on the other end of that like to because i just like what does it feel like and as a therapist i am so curious because it's always oh, the best it's <laughs> like it's like comparable to how you would probably feel like um you know playing basketball in like a packed stadium right like it's you know it's it's definitely um once you experience performing at you know at concerts you start to write music differently or at least i have because you get to see live what people are reacting to which parts of the of the song that they're connecting with or that they're repeating or, you know, just, just so many different things you, you can, you know, get to uh, experience and get to, you know, observe by, by performing and doing concerts and it makes your music better. So the more you perform, I think the more it makes your music better, but it's definitely a rush. It's definitely a lot of fun, you know, because I book my own concerts and I put, put them together. Like, you know, it's, it's always a really, really great time because I can control everything um, and because I can tr can, can't control everything, you know that if you come to my concert, the cocktail menu is going to be fire because it's going to be custom. Um, you know that you're going to people are going to greet you at the door with respect, and no one's going to pat you down looking for weapons. Um, you know, it's it's a lot of, you know, it's just a better experience. Um, just kind of like all across the board. I just love concerts are just fantastic. I mean, they're amazing. Um, 
you know, if you, anyone that does have aspirations of, you know, becoming a, like a full-time artist and really doing it as a career, then you have to get into performing. You have to do it a lot. You know, before I started doing concerts, you know, I would hit open mics like all the time and just, you know, get better, get better, get better, get better, get better. And, um, you know, highly recommend. I mean, you got to get into concerts one way or another if you want to do anything uh, within music. Yeah. I was noticing a theme as far as like first albums for us. And it all seems to be like when it comes to artists, artists who have been through a struggle of sorts in order to put out the product that they just created. Would mm-hmm. you say that that is often kind of the process for you when it comes to making music and how you like write lyrics and things like that? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, everything, I mean, I think it's for, for myself. Yes. 100%. I mean, everything that, that I write and I create is based off of experience. Sometimes I'll go six months and not want to write anything, which I'm going through right now. Um, and then I'll spend two weeks and I'll write 25 songs and that's all I'll do. I won't even answer my phone. You know, it's just kind of like a, a weird thing that that happens from, from time to time. But, um, but, but everyone's different. Like I know artists that write stuff every single day and they finish a song in 15 minutes and bam, they're on their way onto the next and and that's good for them. And that's their creative process. Right. Um, But anything that I say is based off of experience um, from either myself or someone else that was around me, but, but mostly just for myself. Yeah. Is it ever hard being that kind of or that vulnerable when it comes to putting out content like that? Yeah, it is. It absolutely is because, you know, it's it is because for a lot of different reasons, um, I would say that, you know, you just don't know how people are going to react to it. Right. Like your friends, your family, like they could get offended. Um, you know, but it is a lot of different reasons why. Yeah, it, it is difficult to be that authentic. And I think that that also is a really fair point on why a lot of artists probably don't, right? You don't want to incriminate yourself through things that you had to go through when you were growing up. That's a big part of it. But another part of it is just, you know, how your, you know, your peers will perceive you. But, you know, I got to a point where I just, um, you know, I I don't really value other people's opinions that much, um, Mm -hmm. sometimes to a detriment, um, but it's good when you're creating art of any sort, whether it's music or you're like, you know, a a painter or an author or a cook, um, you know, you have to, you have to understand what your vision is. You have to execute your vision because that's what you're doing it for, right? Like you're, you know, that's what, that's what you're there for. It's a self-expression. Yeah. Cause I can imagine like if you're writing a very personal song, it's easy to kind of get out the feelings that you were feeling about that particular situation, experience that person, and then you put it out and it feels very cathartic. And then you listen to it again, like five years down the line in the future. And it's like, shit, it's really fucking sucks for me. Not only just because of what happened, but because of the things that maybe I contributed to it as well. So that's what makes mm-hmm. me often think about like mental health as far as like the music industry, because there's so much that goes into not only creating the content that we as casual listeners can enjoy, but also there's a lot of like, stuff that I can't even fathom that goes on behind the scenes when it comes to even getting to that point, whether it be like business stuff, trying to collaborate with other people, the anxiety that comes up sometimes mm-hmm. not feeling like you're enough. So it just sounds like it's a lot sometimes for you guys. Oh yeah. And then, you know, artists are are generally emotional human beings in general. That's why they're, you know, that's part of being an artist, right? You have to tap yeah. into your emotions in one way or another. So um, it, mental health and in, in music, um, especially in hip hop specifically, is 
it's so relevant. Um, just we're going to talk about so much, you know, in regard to this, but it, it's so relevant. And um, it is there, there's so many facets of what could make you successful, what what may not make you successful. A lot of times, 99 percent of the time really has nothing to do with your actual art these days. Yeah. Um, so like for myself, I have a very happy medium of an artistic side and a business side. And because of that, uh, it's really like it's my competitive advantage. And it's also my Achilles heel because they're always constantly fighting each other, right? The artist wants to be an artist and the business person wants to make a business decisions. And sometimes they don't, sometimes it's not cohesive enough to accomplish the mission. Um, You know, but like I've always said, you know, the scenic route is always has the best view. Yeah. I had to look at my phone real quick to see if this quote originated from somebody in particular and it seems like it came from Erica Badu. I'm an artist and I'm sensitive about my shit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, no, I mean, that may, that's, it makes a lot of sense. I think that, uh, it, and it's so, and music, the music industry overall, the business side of it, like I, lo- I always say I love music. Uh, I love, you know, creating, um, yeah. but I actually, like I hate the music business. Like I love music, but I hate the music business. Um, you know, it's just, it, it's very negative. Um, you have to just, you know, it, you have to really, really be able to internally cope with a lot, you yeah. know, whether it's like negative feedback from like 12 year old kids from Russia that say they want to come to your house and kill you on YouTube. So like, you know, just a lot of different things. And, um, you know, it definitely is, it, this conversation is so relevant, which is why I'm excited to have it. Yeah. That's a really good point because, Anna and I, we used to work at this uh, therapeutic day school and there would be like sometimes maybe underaged or adult legal aged individuals who would like make threats like that. Like, oh, yeah, I'm going to fucking kill you. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. And you have to have mm-hmm. so much tact and grace and go, yep. OK, I know this is yeah. from someplace beyond you, but I'm, and I'm a therapist and I'm sensitive about my shit. And it's just a very interesting thing to have to deal with, especially at a young age, too. Like you mentioned that you started performing concerts at 17, 18 years old. Holy mm-hmm. fuck. I can't imagine what that is like, because on one hand, I can like imagine that it's fun. It's entertaining. You really feel like a really strong sense of self-confidence. But on the other hand, it's like, fuck, I don't want to forget any of my fucking lines. Not at this. Oh, moment. yeah. Oh, yeah. Well, that happens. That definitely ha- that happened to me. Like two years ago, I forgot like one line of my song and I was like, you know, I kind of just freestyled through it or whatever. But people that listen to the music, like they know that I fucked up. But, um, you know, like that's always uh, that's always going to happen. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it's the best performer performers are, are all about preparation. Right. Like if you think Beyonce doesn't practice all day, every day all the time, forever, you're fucking crazy. Right. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a lot of it has to do with preparation. You know, I was a little bit less prepared in that moment than than I should have been. So that's my fault. And I won't make the mistake again, for sure. That's but it's all like a learning lesson. Right. But or you might have a cocktail you, you might, before you might forget your line anyways. I, like I book so many rappers that for, they forget their like it's it's insane. And a lot of artists for me, I don't when I perform, I only I don't perform with the lyrics over my music. Um, most artists, when they perform, they're actually like just rapping over their, their song. Yeah. Um, and so like it's a little bit harder to, to, to notice in that aspect. So it's a little bit more of a crutch. Um, 
but you know, I prefer, it sounds better when, when you go really live like that with no crutch and um, you know, it's a better experience. It's a better show for sure. When you hear certain things from like these newer generations, not here, but when you more so see like different struggles that are now becoming more highly publicized on social media and news outlets, what examples of mental health concerns do you see that are becoming fairly common from your perspective? And of course, there's no need to like name drop like specific artists, just more so, I guess, acts or action. Oh, I mean, yeah, I mean, we, we all know who those specific artists are, right? Like you can tell, like, I mean, that Hollywood bubble is really real if you, if you get that far, right? I mean, that's a whole nother conversation, but you know, being able to stay level and grounded is a really big deal. Like I've gave some very famous people to date their first shows and broke down the music industry for them directly just out of love and because that's what we know we do you know and um not that i would expect anything back from it but you know it's like no nod or no like no no any like no anything from it like okay cool like that's fine but you know it's just kind of that it's like it's just you sometimes you know when you receive a mass amount of attention and you start to achieve your 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 childhood dream your life goal you can get a little big-headed i mean there was one point where where i was really fucking arrogant quite honestly and um you know i kind of just straightened myself out because i took a couple losses that you know made a really big difference in 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 you know my my thought process and my perspective and that i just needed in order to like reground myself right like everyone well not everyone but the majority of of artists that find success they forget where they they came from, you know, and that's something that's very, very noticeable. Um, just like the level of like arrogance uh, and greed uh, that comes about. And the, the music business is really evil because you also have people around you that are around you because they want something from you, right? So how do you know who is really around you to help push your music and your business forward and who's around you to just reach their hand in your pocket? You know, if you reach your hand in my pocket, I chop your hand off. That's why a lot of people stop trying to reach their hands in my pocket right so that's the precedent that i set i'm very independent i run my own business the way i want to run it um which is super cool and super awesome because i have the ability to do so but there's i mean there's so many patterns of mental health of just like feeling worthy right like imagine coming out with like an amazing album and then your next album just completely like nobody cares about it's just like you know, um, completely flops, not because of necessarily for the art, but maybe the label didn't put enough, uh, marketing dollars into the actual album because, you know, they feel like you're a newer, they felt like they did that in the first album. So they don't need to pump as much money in the second album. And then your album flops and now your self-esteem is crushed, you know? So I know that like suicide is a very big deal for a lot of young people, uh, in recent years, and especially for, uh, artistic people, you know, the business side of art, uh, gets, really muddies the water quite a bit and artists i think hit a point where they think that they're not good enough um if they don't make it to a certain level or are unable to do music full-time they think it's because of their art and it's really not it's because of the way the, the business is set up and the way the infrastructure of what they're doing is not sound enough for them to survive to do what they want to do mm-hmm. so it has a lot of times nothing to do with their actual music and nine out of ten times has everything to do with their the business side of their music that they just don't understand and then come across shitty people that also don't help them right they just take take from them and so i mean there's just there's just so much but i think 
that's really a huge deal for me is like, you know, finding success on one part and just like the arrogance level that occurs for a lot of artists that affects their mental health. But then on the flip side of like not making it, not feeling like you're good enough. And it just puts you in a spiral of just, you know, downhill spiral. Yeah. Yeah, You're like, uh, it sounds like you're saying like for artists, the self self self-worth gets tied to success, which I think we, I mean, I think that's common in Matt and I have been talking, I think we've talked in previous episodes about how like self-worth cannot be tied to one area of your life. Absolutely not. Whether it be a relationship, your occupation, you, you, whatever it is, it can't be tied to only one area because if that area starts to get murky, <laughs> rocky, whatever, not work out and, and you feel completely worthless because of it, it's a dark hole to fall down. Yeah. And I think yeah. you're absolutely right. We do see that with a lot of artists. Um, I think we see it with, with actors, interests, like every, yeah. If, if your whole idea of your self-worth is based on even your creativity, so not even success, but your own ability to be creative and to produce, you know, whatever your, your art is. And if you hit a block and you're unable to do that, I've seen people um, become depressed with that as well. Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, also like we, we should be defining what success is to ourselves. A lot of artists are just, I think people in general, we tend to define success of how others feel about us or how others perceive us. There's a lot of, a lot of artists, a lot of rappers that have a lot of followers, hundreds of thousands, millions, sometimes a million, two million followers. And they don't actually really make a lot of money that you think they would make, right? Like you see these extravagant music videos, um, but they're, you know, like cars are rented, you know, the houses and um, condos are rented. Everything is rented for the video shoot. And artists that are assigned in particular, you know, they every every dollar that's spent, they have to pay back. So when you get a record deal, you actually get a bank loan. And the interest rates are out of control. And that's why artists will pop up. And if they're not profitable, sometimes the, well, a lot of times the label ends up just shelving them, but yeah. they also don't, also don't let them go. So they start to make just a little bit of money over time with them just to get their investment back. In the meanwhile, this artist can't make music or can't put out music. They can make it, but they can't put it out and they can't go anywhere because they're, they're trapped in the system that's set up for them to fail. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, nowadays with technology, you can really, really take control of your own path if you really understand marketing and business. And if you can really understand that in any industry or any type of artistic um, aspirations you have to make it a full-time business, if you understand marketing and business, like no business can survive unless you know how to sell something. If you can't sell something, you don't exist. And that's the same thing with music. I really hear a lot of exploitation in a lot of what you're describing and it's crazy to say but not crazy because it's something that i can understand it makes sense because they're trying to draw in these younger individuals who don't know anything about the business side that's why they draw in the younger individuals because they are like their emotions do that yes purposeful it's targeted so i didn't mean to cut you off but yeah you're 100 correct that's exactly why you see a lot of artists pop up when they're like 17 18 years old or they start them at 18 and they put them out at 24 because they're grooming them and they're just reaching in they're just it's just exploitation to to another level and a lot of artists are okay with that because they just want their their name to be known and they want to feel like they they did something for for a moment yeah and i think it just speaks to why you reacted like that like 
that's one of the things that both myself and Anna sometimes experience in sessions. Like we can just say that one thing and then it just encapsulates everything. Like, yes, you fucking hit it right there. That's some bullshit right there. It's like the confirmation that Mm -hmm. artists don't often get to experience because they're beaten down before they even get a chance to even stand on their own two feet. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, there is like, I had so many people approach me when I was 18, 19 years old doing shows with Asher Roth, you know, spending big money, doing my thing, like selling out shows. Like I was, you know, definitely, you know, definitely on the way of like really, really doing it. And, you know, I really stopped myself because I was like, you know, I don't know if I want to really do this anymore. Like I hit a low where I was like, Mm, some personal things are going on, some family things are going on, they're more important. I don't feel comfortable investing into music if my mother can't pay her rent. So mm-hmm. that's what really like stopped my path, I think, and kind of took some steam out of me early on. But I had so many, so many companies, um, booking agencies, label reps, so many people reach out to me. And so many, when you're, especially when you're younger, um, they just look at you like, oh, perfect. It's a free meal. Like we can get them, get them early, get them young, get them now. And, you know, we'll be able to profit off of off of them, you know, like so that definitely happens. I know that still happens for sure. What would you say? And this is actually a question I just came up with. So it's not a part of the production that we actually established. What are one to three songs that you feel as if encapsulate your experience as a young entrepreneur in the music industry like they don't have to Um, talk about it but just like the feel yeah well the top song that comes out to me that's more of a recent song uh is i believe it's called sunny side up by mez and that to me encapsulate everything you say about you know creating music going into industry finding success not feeling welcome feeling out of place like it's a whole it's it's a really really great track it's and it makes a lot of sense why that really really blew him up um but that's it's just such a great record um I'm trying to think of some other some other songs um that one's just really a big one for me you know that's that's yeah. like in, it's, and it's recent too so it's like it's recent but it's not it's not uh it doesn't go out of the the ordinary pattern that you hear for music from, you know, early on from, you know, the classic stuff too. Like it's a pretty, you know, it's a little bit less intense nowadays because you do have the ability to do things on your own. Right. So like nowadays, a lot of labels, if they're, you're not young and they can't take advantage of you, then you have to be making money. If you make, you can show them, you can make the money. They'll, they'll sign you in, in two seconds. Okay. That um that that song that he's talking about the Mez Sunny Side Up, yeah. I listened to it myself and it's I like I like it a lot because of what Nicholas is saying. Like it's expressing all the difficulties. He expresses a lot of the difficulties with like that that feeling out of place from transitioning from having like no money to suddenly having to make all these decisions and be this like in this completely new world. And I think there was a line in there. He said like my like is what do you say? Like my grandma says I need money. Like she needs uh, what was it? Um, asbestos or something like that. There's a line like that. And I mean, I, I know that that's kind of like a common theme in music, right? Where artists talk about like what it was like to be poor to like what it is like to have money now. But I don't think that they, they often talk about it in this kind of like Hollywood idealistic way. Mm-hmm. And it's not as often when they talk about like, 
the uncomfortable feeling that comes along with it and the changes in the adaptations you have to make and sort of like everything that's going on around you. And that is one of the reasons why I like Biggie's music because <laughs> he, he talks about it. He doesn't, he, he kind of uh, idealizes like having, ha- having the money, but he still makes these statements where you, you can kind of get inside his head because it is insane to go from having no food to all, all automatically being able to, to just buy whatever you want. It's not, mm-hmm. it's not as carefree of a transition as people think it is. And I think it's something like once you've experienced it, you can understand it. I mean, obviously I haven't experienced it on the <laughs> level, but I have, I have experienced the transition from just moving up a class, like moving up a, a, a an economic. Oh class. yeah. It's weird. And it's, it's weird. Really weird. It's uncomfortable. It it's, it, it makes you anxious and makes you depressed at times because you're just like I this is my new life now but I'm not quite connected to it and then and I'm uncomfortable with it and the problems that people experience are different than the problems you had before and you have to recognize like okay it's it like like that's okay you know like okay this is odd that these people are so upset about this when I used to be worried about what I was going to eat and we don't have electricity but I can't say that this is my problems were worse now. I don't know. You know what I'm saying? Like there's just so much that comes along with it. And I feel like that's something a lot of artists deal with as they move up, you know? Yeah. It's a, it's a also, it's like a level of guilt. You yes. Know? Like, yes. Why do I it's have a level this? of guilt? And my family doesn't like what you said about your mom. Like I've had those feelings as well too. I continue to have those feelings where it's like, why am I on vacation right now? Like, and, and you're enjoying it. And then you're, you're like, well, I kind of wish that this was something my parents could have, or I don't really deserve this. Like they should have this. They've worked harder. They've wanted it longer. So why do I get it? And um, the music that I've listened to is, and it's mostly hip hop music where they really talk about that. And that's what I feel like the most connected to. It's even in how communication is even enacted. Like you can grow up in a low class impoverished neighborhood. You find success and then they're critiquing how you move, how you talk, how you try to express emotions. But this is exactly why you signed me. You signed me for this particular reason, because I bring this type of content, I bring this type of energy a few months ago. And I'm happy to hear that he is out of prison. I saw the video that Bobby Schmerder did for, I think it mm-hmm. was Epic, when he was trying to just more so like demonstrate why they should sign him. And it was so disheartening for me as like a black male because I get it. I'm trying to find success and trying to really get on and trying to make money so I can support my family, support my friends, support the people that I came up with. Mm-hmm. And you do this performance in front of a majority of white execs that just sit there looking stoic at you as if you're like Bojangles just dancing for fucking money. And it fucking blows my mind that the culture clash in the industry in terms of where you come from, and you can be black, you can be Hispanic, you can be Asian, and try to demonstrate yourself authentically as possible to find success and then be looked at as if you're lesser than or just like you're a fucking mm-hmm. dollar sign. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I, I can totally understand that. I mean, that's a big thing. In, for, for artists that are signed, that's incredibly relevant because that is how they're looked at and their careers are treated like, you know, a number on a spreadsheet. And that's, you know, it's it's pretty clear. And how the music comes out, it's clear on... Um, the longevity, the lack of longevity mm-hmm. that artists have is because of that, which, which you're explaining. And, you know, it's, it's overall, like it, 
it's disappointing, but you know, all businesses are, all business is pretty, it's pretty ruthless. Like big business is pretty, like capitalism is pretty ruthless. So, you know, it's really no difference from, you know, real estate to music to even like the, like any type of, you know, industry, um, you know, any, anything that is an industry that's creating billions of dollars, uh, you know, happens that way, unfortunately. Yeah. How have you learned to navigate through it all? Um, I don't know. I feel like I, I, I just think that, um, like my success is not defined on how people perceive me at all. So mm-hmm. I really, you know, and because my concert business and my live events business, uh, pre COVID and post COVID is so profitable. I've never really, like, I stopped becoming in a rush to like, okay. because I, I started, I like, I started doing music. I didn't start doing music because I want to be famous or I wanted to be wealthy or make a lot of money. Like I did it because it was like a therapy way of, you know, it was like therapy for myself. Um, and it was also fun and, you know, and it was, I'm um, engaging and exciting and challenge, you know, you know, my creativity and, uh, you know, it's just a very, it, it just was so fulfilling for me. That's why I got into it. I didn't get into it to be wealthy and, and whatnot, even growing up like harsh, like I did, that still wasn't my mentality. Um, I never even thought I would actually be alive after 22 years old. So I really didn't, really didn't care about money or wealth. Um, but I think it's very interesting. I think that, I think that there, I just don't hold, I just really don't care about what people think. Like I really don't, like I'm on my own time schedule and I feel like now at 28 years old, I feel like I'm actually super young. Like a lot of people at 28, 29, they feel like they're old and older and done and like they missed their chance. And like, it's so far from the truth. Like Joe Pesci didn't get his first acting um, uh, movie role until he was like 34 years old. Uh, you know, Jay-Z put out his first um, album, Reasonable Doubt, Reasonable Doubt, at 28 years old and didn't become big until he was about 32. Um, you know, at the time, Reasonable Doubt was not a classic album and it was not um, beloved like it is today. You know, so like there's so many different things. Rick Ross, I don't think he got his uh, major record deal until he was, I think, 32 yeah, he's one of the biggest names in culture of all time now. Yeah. Um, there's so many, so many instances, but all you, all people focus on is is the short bursts, right? They see like these kids like designer where they go viral at 19 years old. Well, you know what? Designer is like these these artists like that. They don't make as much money as people think. They they're they're successful by by uh, name recognition and um, they have a moment in time that's fantastic. But a lot of times they can't match that moment at time because it is so high. Yes. So it's hard to sustain and it's hard to, I mean, it's really tough. And if you're on a label, I mean, like I never had aspirations of being on a record label ever still could care less. Um, if you can do music independently, you'll make more money than you could ever imagine if you, if you're successful in it. Um, but you know, record label, it, they invest so much money like that. The capital is there, right? That bank loan is there. It's a fast track to what people think is success. And it's really just a fast track to, you know, fame, but it's not, um, it's not a long-term strategy. And from, for most artists and it doesn't last. I mean, even look like, look at J. Cole, J. Cole is still signed to Jay-Z. Like he's like, Jay-Z will make money off him for, for, for life, you know? And, and that's okay because, you know, of the investment in, 
I mean, clearly it's worth it at that point. But there's a lot of artists that were signed to Jay-Z that aren't successful. Asher Roth was signed to Jay-Z. He's not, su- not successful in most people's point of view to date, you know? So I think that um, a lot of it has to do with perspective. I guess that's what I'm getting at. Like my perspective, I think, is different. Um, I like being independent and running my own business and investing in myself. And that's what I actually enjoy doing. So there is no extra pressure of like rushing around and trying to get a record deal to be famous because that's not my goal yeah yeah i'm just glad to hear you give more examples of what it's like to because it's something that i feel like i've been noticing more and more just i think because of age and just about how long i've been doing this work pressure driven behavior is a motherfucker and the more pressure you put on yourself to be perfect the harder it is for you to actually obtain success or even maintain success because it's always about chasing after that next thing and that next thing and that next thing and it never Mm -hmm. really stops until you start to self-sabotage like certain podcast people who i'm not going to talk about right now (laughs) and what's and what's perfect right perfect is subjective perfect is perfect is like perfect to somebody and imperfect to someone else it's perfect today and imperfect tomorrow uh it's it doesn't exist it's a mirage right it doesn't exist um, and I, I struggle with that. I struggle with, um, you know, I like I struggle with that a lot. And that's why I don't put a lot of music out. That's why a lot of music that I've had out, you know, I've taken down. That's why, like, you know, it's just it, it is it's just everyone has different goals. Right. And like being wealthy is not my goal. Um, but I love business. Right. That, that confuses a lot of people, like because people that meet me but don't really know me. They're like, oh, well, you like like you like money, money drives you. Like, no, like I don't have a car, bro. Like I literally don't have a car. I lived in an apartment uh, that was a thousand dollars a month for like, I, I don't know, like the last 10 years, even though I've made significantly more money to live somewhere nicer. Um, like I don't buy things. I don't have shit. Put in my apartment. It's pretty empty. I'm pretty minimalist. Yes. Um, and so it's, so like the, the money doesn't drive me. The, the game of business drives me. I love you know, selling things and putting quality forward and seeing people enjoy, you know, the experience you bring them. Uh, that's what's fulfilling for me. And, you know, if anytime you do something predominantly for money, it will never work out. Um, you know, I've even caught myself, you know, moving in direction of doing things like that to, you know, make things profitable. And, you know, it's just, it doesn't work. It never works. Like, just never works. You know, you have to focus on what is your ultimate goal? My ultimate goal is financial freedom. Well, I don't need a million dollars for financial freedom. You can get financial freedom with 200K a year. That's for sure. So, you know, it's just um, everyone's goal, I think, is different. And I just could care less about being being famous, which is, I mean, kind of a detriment to the process as well, though, right? Because, you know, if you, you have to get bigger, right, to move that goal forward. But, like, I've never had aspiration of having a million followers. I actually think I would hate having a million followers. You know, I, I would hate going to places and not be able to go out to, like, dinner and places and constantly getting bothered and stuff like that. I would actually hate that. Like, it's, it's I think that one reason why that's never really happened for me, like, organically early on or just even now is because I actually don't think I'm built for that. Yeah. I don't think that I think I would hate my life at that point. Like 100, 200,000 followers for me, I can tour and put out great music and run my business, open up some restaurants, do some things that I want to do. That's like, that's more of my goal. Yeah. It sounds like, and this is more so because of life circumstances, because obviously two of the artists from the list kind of tragically, not kind of, they were tragically murdered. 
you've gone the route of Nas. You have realized your own success, your own worth, realize that the public life isn't necessarily for you. And you have decided to mm-hmm. start pursuing a lot of business ventures. And when you feel like performing and creating content, you will. What are some mm-hmm. of the, I guess. 100%. Yeah. What are some yeah, of the. I have 6,000. Oh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. I was just going to ask you, what are some of the, I guess, ventures that you have been starting for yourself? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, so like, it, it's crazy, right? Like, I, like, you know, I have 6,000, like put it in perspective, right? I have 6,000 followers on Instagram. I probably make more money than 99% of artists you see everywhere. Like it, that's crazy to me to even think about. Right. But, but it's because it's not like the exposure and the, the luxury that you see on these Instagrams, it's not real. It's just not real. Things are rented. It's not theirs. Like it's not, it's impractical. And it really frustrates me because it puts such a, a level of impractic, impracticality into the system that kids really think this is real. So they go and chase music. Um, like, and they think that they're, you know, it's gonna, they're going to be wealthy from it immediately or even at all. And it just couldn't be furthest from the truth. Um, so sorry, I just, that thought came to mind. I went, went off on a tangent, but what was the original question? I'm sorry. What are some of the uh, venues that, you have started to, I guess, start to pursue in order to continue to find your version of success as opposed to falling into the trappings that lead to those mental health concerns that we kind of spoke of. Oh, yeah, absolutely. So because of like my concert and live events business, you know, I was able to get into marketing. Mm-hmm. And so I've worked for various companies um, marketing wise. I've worked with Red Bull and Vitamin Shop and uh, Best Buy and um, worked in real estate. Now still working in real estate. Um, but yeah, like I've had a pretty awesome marketing career because of my expertise of live, live events, um, that got me into, into marketing. So, you know, and which is very interesting. And I just, you know, I'm, you know, my mother was an entrepreneur. I'm an entrepreneur. Like it's kind of just in my blood, like actually no one in my family, now that I'm thinking about it actually works for anyone. They've all had their own business, not, not been wealthy. Definitely not but they've all had their own business at one time for long periods of time, if they don't um, still do. So I think that, uh, you know, I've just been very entrepreneurial, like marketing services, like consulting, like a lot of this stuff just kind of came out naturally. I, I didn't, I didn't go to school for marketing. I didn't even, you know, finish school the way I wanted to, you know, I just finished two years. Um, you know, it just really wasn't for me. And, and like when you're 18 years old and you're making 50, 60 K a year, doing concerts and your student loans haven't kicked in, you think you're rich. That's what happened to me. I was like, wow, I'm crushing it. And then like, you know, you start to realize, oh wait, no, these student loans are going to kick in and it's going to be different. So I kind of just naturally transitioned into marketing and, you know, work with a lot of companies um, through like a nine to five type of gig through consulting and side stuff through my own things. Um, And a lot of that has contributed to my success and I've got much, much better at branding and business over time, uh, you know, because of that. Okay. Hmm. I don't know. I'm running out of questions. Uh, Live events, like live events. I mean, that's huge. Like outside of just marketing stuff, like my concert, like I could do concerts and live events full time. No problem. Yeah. Is it like, uh, like live, live nation essentially? Yeah, essentially, essentially like, you know, booking your own concerts. So, you know, not just booking myself, but, you know, flying artists out, bands out, booking the venue, running their ticketing, 
the whole process from start to finish, um, whether they're cocktail parties or concerts. Mm-hmm. Um, we've done art events and art galleries. Um, we have just done so many events over the years. And um, that's been my entrepreneurial business that, you know, I was doing full time and can still do full time post COVID. But um, it's interesting, right? It's like, it's uh, kind of the things I fell into were never really like planned except for concerts and live events. But, you know, there is a value on the knowledge you have as an artist. Um, I mean, just from your creativity to your marketing, you know, skills, you just naturally have as an artist, if you want to even attempt to do this, right, you have to know a lot about branding and a lot about how to connect with people. And the one thing that corporate America knows absolutely nothing about is how to connect with people. Mm. And that's your advantage, you know, so it's, it's, it's interesting. There's a lot of ways you can do, but ultimately I think that I've just always leaned on my strengths and because I've always leaned on my strengths and not have been um, over the top self-conscious and focused on my weaknesses, my strengths have, have been able to like, you know, really carry me forward. It's a really good healthy mindset to have, especially. Yeah. That's kind of what we encourage our clients. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. Um, but Matt, I was going to say, I think we have time for like one more question. So I was, I did want to ask Nicholas, uh, what song of yours would you say you are like the most proud of or a song that means the most to you? Um, Probably Eyesight probably would be, I wish it was a little bit better quality. Kind of, I love that it's song. Pretty old song. <laughs> it's, yeah, it's pretty old song now. I would say it's very authentic. It's very cool record um i mean outside of that i think um i think the kill bill song that that i did did with mikey rock sets a really great picture of like mm-hmm. like the whole concept of that song is like my favorite concept of all time which i'll continue to make a bunch of songs about the same concept like most rappers um but the concept of you know it's, kill bill was really a play on words right so it wasn't about like the movie movie title or anything like that it's just a play on words that people were familiar with but it's about financial freedom and killing your bills like please like in in the hook you know i'm like please please don't tell me this this is all for the bills this you know as in life like is life really all for the bills like do i wake up go to work and just live for my bills you know where is the point where we can start living for ourselves and doing the things that fulfill us um you know and that's you know a really great concept probably my favorite concept of all time to promote and, and put forward is the concept of, hey, like you don't have to get up and work for your, your you know, we don't have to live to work. Yeah. You know, we don't have to live to work um, or work to live or whatever. I don't even know what if that's the right terminology, but, you know, mm-hmm. you, you, you get the point. I think that we just can't, can't always focus on being like everyone wants to accumulate things so they can look cool or raise their self-esteem but then what you have so much stuff like you have a car payment you have a student loan payment now you got a mortgage payment or you got an apartment payment you got a payment for this payment for that you got netflix you got spotify you got grubhub you got uber eats you got doordash you got every fucking thing under the sun when it comes to a point where where you don't have to like when it comes to a point where you don't need any of any of that stuff, like why are, why are we reliant on all this stuff? Like you want to go to work and get paid just to take all your money and go give it to somebody else. You know, I think it's super important to think about. Yeah. All right. Well, I think we have concluded our interview for today. 
there is one more thing that we would love to ask of you before we end today. And that yeah, is- Yeah, let's do it. What is, what is, I keep forgetting the name of it. What is the name of our music recommendation segment? Um, it's like new music, not Friday recommendations. Let's just make that official. New, <laughs> new music, not Friday. I love that. That's hilarious. Not Friday music. New music. <laughs> yeah. So new one music. Of, I'm sorry, go ahead. New music, not Friday. You want a, a recommendation? Yeah. So for the audience in pre-production, we talked about how we wanted to, for this week, contribute songs that speak about artists who are attending to like mental health struggles, issues. So we all have either one or a few songs to recommend. Nick, if you could go first and share yours, we'd be delighted. Um, a couple songs. I would say rather than a couple songs, I would say I would I would probably recommend everyone to go back and um, listen to Nipsey Hussle's Victory Lap album because it's, you know, rest in peace. It's a, it's a masterpiece. Um, it's full of authentic stories. Uh, it's, 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 it's like, it's gold. It's, it's timeless. It's priceless. You know, it's a fantastic album. You can get a really great perspective on, on, you know, the journey of, you know, coming from nothing to being successful in the music business and the trials and tribulations that you face you know, not just going through the music business, but just growing up in, you know, growing up in a a major city. Um, I think it's flawless. Awesome. Very good. Thank you. I still haven't listened to the full album yet. I definitely front to back. Don't even skip. Yeah. Don't (laughs) skip front to back. Just let it, let it roll. Yeah. All right. Well, Nicholas, thank you so much for being our guest on today's episode. Our very first guest, huge honor. Happy you had to be. Oh, sweet. Perfect. Yes. Nice. Can you tell the listeners what your social media handles are so they can follow you, like pages and stuff like that? Oh, yeah, absolutely. So, you know, the best place to follow me is on Instagram uh, at Nicholas May, N-I-C-H-O-L-A-S-M-A-Y. Definitely on Spotify as well, if you listen to Spotify. But really all the major platforms, definitely, you know, putting out more music, but also going to be putting out some more content and, um, also a uh, YouTube uh, show as well is coming soon. So it'll be a lot of fun. Hey, nice. I'm going to subscribe. Oh yeah, please do. I mean, please do. I mean, it's, it's going to be, it's going to be pretty fucking awesome. And we'll bleep out all the cuss words for you before you post it. Um, <laughs> for post the interview, but yeah, no, it's going to be great. Oh yeah. Dang. We do have to, oh, yeah. Let's do that. Yeah, you have to do that. I'm sorry. But you decided to interview a rapper, so that's what you get. Oh, no. I think I did more of the cursing this episode than anybody. <laughs> yeah, it was mostly you, Matt. I think yeah. so. <laughs> but, uh, thank, yeah, thank you, Nichols. Thank you for joining us. It's awesome. It was awesome talking to you. Um, I'm probably going to go listen to Eyesight again, because now that we talked about nice. it. Nice. I listened to it this morning, though. So. Um, oh, I appreciate it. That actually, you good. know what no, song has been in my head today? is uh fall in love which is super oh old. yeah i don't even know how you i don't even know how you still have that i don't i don't, I don't have it i don't have it it's just <laughs> in my head today like the i still i don't have it either yeah I don't, it doesn't even <laughs> exist anymore and i've been we'll thinking re, about this morning. we'll have to redo it we'll have to redo it and and, and make a updated version for that i liked song. it so much that was the first song of yours i heard so um yeah a lot of people a lot of people it was it was actually pretty pretty it, it it actually went pretty far and then I took it down like, like an asshole. 
So. <laughs> All right. All right. So much. You are officially a friend of the show. If you ever want to join us again, feel free. Cool. No, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. All right. Take care. Okay. Thank you. All right. Again, we want to thank Nick for joining us for today's episode. I thought it was extremely, extremely cool just having him not only as a guest, not only as an artist, but just a really chill person who I feel like we both could like just talk to four hours, but we had to limit it down to one. What do you think? Yeah, no. Well, the listeners don't know, but the first time we talked to him, it was supposed to be like, it was supposed to be like a 30 minute conversation and it ended up being like almost two hours. Yeah. So, it, was hilarious. <laughs> it was, it was, it was good, but yeah, that was super cool. That was fun for me. Cause like, obviously I'm a fan. Um, and it was, yeah, it was cool. I hope he does. I hope he does remake that song, though. I like that song, uh, Fall in Love. That was the first song of his I heard, and I thought it was awesome. And it's like, it's just, you know, it's like a ghost in my memory. Yeah. Of that. It's just like a ghost floating around, like just pops in my head sometimes. I like how you put him on blast. Like, yeah, it's not on there anymore. It's not. It's now- like, I don't have it. He's like, how do you have it? I don't have it. <laughs> so now to return the favor on his behalf, I'm going to put you on blast. Because I see you're wearing a very particular shirt. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> I went this whole episode and didn't notice that you were wearing a capsule short, capsule corpse show from Dragon Ball. I, I was wondering how long it would take you to realize that I'm <laughs> repping Capsule Corp today. Um, you know, Matt, if Capsule Corp was real, the world would be a better place. Yeah, it really would. But then again, I probably wouldn't participate in the world too much because all I have to do is just have five capsules pop anywhere <laughs> randomly and just go, fuck this shit. You can't find me. <laughs> yeah. For Okay. For the listeners who don't know, Capsule Corp is a company from Dragon Ball Z and they make like capsules. So like you could like throw a capsule and like a house would pop up or you throw a capsule and a car pops up or like mm-hmm. anything you need is in capsule form. You, you, your whole life could be in a capsule. Just throw it and it expands. And before we continue with our, like, not Music Friday recommendations, I want to give one very altruistic example from the show and manga. There was this one character who decided to enter into a fighting tournament because he wanted the prize money in order to transport water back to his impoverished uh, area. Oh, that little guy? Yeah, I remember him. Yeah, he lost, and then they just gave him a capsule. He's like, what the fuck am I going to do with this? Build it up what I think like maybe a lake's worth of water and say, yeah, just take this. Boom. There you go. You don't need money. You need, you need a capsule. I was like, what the fuck kind of shit is this? It's capsule. This is too cool. <laughs> yes. All right. Back to non-Friday music recommendations. Um, for mine, I have a project and a song. The project's a bit old. It's from Royce the Five Nine, and it is called Death is Certain. This album immediately followed the rift that started to establish between himself and D12 and Eminem. You could really get a sense of him being on the defensive, being very reactive. He doesn't he doesn't necessarily make direct shots towards any of the people he was really going back and forth with at the time, but you could just really tell his guns were set to a blaze and was like, if you want to fucking try me, this is where it's going to go. And then also talking about the struggle of what it's like to be depressed during that time, struggling with like substance abuse issues and really having a sense of paranoia about how he perceives himself and others. Really great album. 
dark album. Recommend it, but recommend it when you're not really going through a lot of shit because, again, it's a dark album. That's all I'll say about that. And then as far as the track, Lloyd, no, not Lloyd, Logic's Buried Alive song. Yeah. That shit hits. I don't even... I don't even know how to describe how cool this song is when it comes to talking about mental health. I just, I just only can say, just go listen to it. That's the best I can do. Logic is, Logic is, uh, he released that like a suicide hotline number. That was really popular. Um, Kind of good to like spark, you know, awareness um for for me i guess my song is the uh classic classic uh notorious big uh suicidal thoughts the last track off of uh ready to die right i got that right i got that right yeah 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 i'm i'm Uh, I'm depressed just hearing the name i'm not even I know, I know, but it's such a it's such a cool song, such a haunting song. But does um, the beginning starts off with that uh, the Bob Marley um, said uh, no? At, wait, hold on, I gotta play. See, now I gotta play the song in my head. Yeah, the woman you, holds your head up high. That's hold your head. That was the remake of that song. Well, I like the remake. The, okay, see, this is why I looked at because I was like, okay, I I listened to the hold your hold your head, hold your yeah. head version most often but the original is suicidal thoughts i like i do like the remake a lot but um regardless remake fantastic yeah they're both fantastic and i i saw an interview with him uh where he was talking about that song and he was saying like he's like no he's like i'm not ready to die and i'm not you know um i'm not uh you know suicidal is like i'm having suicidal thoughts and it was like that is such a huge huge thing where like people don't understand the difference and it was so cool to like see him even back then like like the 90s were ages ago but it, it's still still like even now it's a concept that people kind of struggle with sometimes we think yeah. like oh suicidal thoughts equals suicidal intent it does not it does not um and he he said it perfectly in the interview he's like no he's like no it's not about that it's not about like wanting to kill myself or hurt myself it's about like just thinking life it would be easier if I was dead and he's not wrong you know he was going through so much at that time like just the pressure and like yeah he was successful at that time but it's like what we talked about with Nicholas today it's 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 a lot of pressure it's a lot of anxiety it can be depressing because you're in this whole new world and mm-hmm. um you know potentially losing connections with your your past and you know there's so much writing on every little thing you do and that's kind of like what he said about the song it's just like yeah it's not that i don't want to be alive it's just that if i was dead it would be easier (laughs) you know but he if you see the interview it's funny because he says it so casually and you got to remember how young he was you know, and he just says it so casually and you're like, oh, well, you know what? That makes sense. <laughs> was it on YouTube, the interview? It was on, I saw the, Nef- the new Netflix documentary. Oh, okay. I still have to watch yeah. that. It was in there, yeah. But I'm sure it's on YouTube too. I mean, like all of his content is all over the place, you know, so. Thank you for giving me my Sunday viewing because I'm about to watch that shit after this. And I thought, I thought you were, I thought you were thinking that Hold Your Head was Suicidal Thoughts, but I was like, nah. I feel like I would have heard like, the differential 
like process of thinking when you mentioned it. But when you said Bob Marley, I was like, wait, no, it's this one. And that was a really good one too. Yeah. The thing that really kills me though, is that that song, while again, super impactful and super dark, it is a bit safer because the original version, the reason why that one haunts me is because it starts off as a conversation between him and Diddy. And then Mm, at the end of the song, he just fucking kills himself. And I'm just, and he's like, like, Diddy going like, yo, big, big, big. And I was just like, fuck, man. No, no, Biggie, no. Yeah, that's all part of, that's like, I I mean, I I saw that as like just part of the sort of like play of the album. You know, each song had like a different sort of like scene to it, you know? So it was like part of the scene to that song. But like when he talks about like, what the song meant to him you know it was a little different I mean I feel like every single person has a day where they wake up and they just don't want to exist it's not that you want to kill yourself you just don't want to exist and that is the difference between suicidal like intent and suicidal ideation or thoughts um or just thoughts of just like I just don't feel like existing today and it's not even you know um I, I don't know I feel like I don't, I don't want to say like we should normalize that, but it's, but it is kind of normal. And it's, yeah, <laughs> it, it is. And fun fact for the listeners, just in case we're not being as direct, you can think to yourself, I wish I could just sleep in bed all day and never wake up. That's an example of a suicidal thought. Crazy. Boom. Mind blown. Yes, that's an example, but it's not saying that you have intent, which is yes. something different uh especially you know clinically different so mm-hmm. um yeah so a little, i guess a uh, little uh lesson for the listeners today yeah. i had that thought technically this morning except it was more so in relation to the fact that it felt fucking good to not have cats trying to wake me up and my bed felt super soft i could just stay, stay in bed all day. <laughs> yeah. yeah i could just stay in bed all day that would be great let me don't want to die all right well okay (laughs) leaving the listeners on that very positive note but i hope everybody enjoyed um the interview that we definitely want to do more of that we definitely want to get some more artists involved i have reached out to some people so we will see what happens um but i feel i feel good about it um i like it so next episode it could be anything. Might be another um, just uh, song focused. What is our our song analysis episode? Mm-hmm. It could be another interview. We're not sure. We are planning to uh, hi- highlight our sponsor, TBD Coffee, next episode. Yes. So that'll be part of it. Um, but yeah, so thank you, everyone. Uh, remember, follow us on Facebook. Follow us on Instagram. Yt underscore. Uh, wait. yt underscore playlist playlist. yes yt underscore playlist on instagram or your therapist playlist uh your therapist playlist on facebook like i said um we have our spotify playlist we have our apple music um yeah and then the youtube we talked about that up that episode we are still working on that um as soon as we get that up and going then we it will be shared with all of you so yes Um, And also make sure you follow our playlist on Spotify. Your therapist playlist is one. And then Anna and Matt's infinite infinite playlist is another one. One has just the songs we speak about on the show. And then the other one has the recommendations that we offer on the show. 
Yes, absolutely. So we will have those up uh, coming to you soon. Yes. All right. Hope you guys enjoy your week and we will see you next time. Bye. Bye.